Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Deb Talks podcast. And today we have a great person with us, Marie Martin. And um, I'm so excited. Thank you, Marie, for making the time to spend with us here and to help us a little bit understand better. The topic we're going to talk today about is intergenerational repatterning. So Marie is a she has lots and lots of um uh, you know, experience in the field of health and wellness. And she's also a licensed and registered professional counselor. But we're going to be quite general today and just allow her to take us through her journey and what brought her to to um, be passionate about what she's doing now, which is this intergenerational repatterning, repatterning um, uh, facilitating, I think, that she does for people and how it's helping people. So yeah, without further ado, Marie, introduce yourself to us. Hey, thanks for having me here. It's really Welcome. kind of exciting to see people gathering again. I feel like there's this whole wave of people like getting back together and gathering and having events and things. It's kind of cool. It's nice to be nice to be feeling social again. Yeah, after those two years of lockdowns, mm. we're all happy to be having a human experience. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. it. Yeah. So, so my journey. Yeah, um, my journey, like, how did it start? I guess it started with my own experience, or it usually does. Um, I got to a place where I, I was pretty sick. I had adrenal fatigue and uh, hypothyroidism, so bad I couldn't lift my head off the sofa after five o'clock at night. And I, I was in such a terrible pattern, like I'd get to that, that time of night and I'd just be exhausted and wake up the next morning and drag myself out of bed and go through, drag myself through the day. And for, for all intents and purposes, like I looked like I was having a great life and I was a really positive person. Um, but I had this sickness that was that was dragging me down and I didn't I couldn't understand it and couldn't really understand what was happening around it. So when I finally got diagnosed with hypothyroidism, I had to make a choice and one morning I woke up and I was like I'm not I'm not going to survive this like I just had this thought of like I'm I'm, I'm going to die I'm not going to survive this this is just not not isn't I can't live my life this way and in that moment I chose to live and I didn't actually realize like I had to make a choice and it was almost like mm-hmm. a light bulb, bulb moment it was like oh I, I get to choose I have to like choose like actively like step into this and say I, I choose to live I choose life and from that moment things started like changing like I started um I started going through a process of of like learning this modality that eventually took me through my own healing um that I eventually wrote a book about the Metatron's Code where I was taught like first of all to look at the mental body and look at the thoughts so um, I registered as an NLP practitioner and I did my practitioner training and I spent an entire year just like looking at my own thoughts and what's going on in my own thoughts and, and like where these thoughts come from and I was pretty shocked because I was I was a really positive person um but I was quite shocked at the amount of thoughts that were in there that I, did, I hadn't paid attention to that I didn't realize and they were quite toxic some of them <laughs> yeah that's a, yeah that's true now that's funny that you said that you thought you were a positive person what made you think you were a positive person is that in your maybe in your actions or interactions with others because obviously with your thinking process if it's not good within your thoughts and you're not being kind to yourself because you ultimately you're the one that's thinking those thoughts so how does that what does that look like that you thought you were quite a positive person yeah well I thought I was living my life the way that we should live our life right I was doing Ah, other things got you society yeah living on a ski resort I've got the house I've got the kids I have the husband I have the car maybe a boat you know the things (laughs) that we should be doing right and and like I, I would 
surface level, I was very, I was pretty happy. Like I wasn't mm. um, it, it, like the surface level, but there was always something missing underneath. Okay. So when I found out about the hypothyroidism, like the doctor said to me, you will be sick for the rest of your life. You'll be on medication for the rest of your life. And I said, I, said, I, I, I don't think so. And he went, yeah. he said, well, this is not an illness that you get over. It's a lifelong illness. So you better believe hmm. it. And I said, yeah, I said, that's your belief system. It's not mine. I choose not to keep that. And he was like, oh, you're one of those, are you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm one of those. <laughs> yeah. So I started looking at the beliefs around hypothyroidism and the beliefs around adrenal fatigue. And yes. um, I started paying attention to my familiar line and called my mom and said you know like where is the where is there a pattern of hypothyroidism and she was like oh this cousin this cousin that cousin your grandma and I was like oh there's clearly clearly something's in in our um generation but like I I believe in Dr Bruce Lipton's work where he said it's not actually genetic um most of the times it's not genetic diseases it's epigenetics it's the belief around the disease that creates the disease and we we pick these up from our family line through learned behavior and cellular memory um and, and also what we hear them say, like the, the talk, we just take it because when we're in our first formative years, in the first six years of our life, there's no filters. Everything just comes through. Right. So and unconsciously, is, we're taking it on. Totally. It is from the age of zero. It's like literally zero yes. to seven. It's like exactly. 90% of our programming. And it's when we're, when we're in vitro. Like, so when our mothers are in our grandmother's belly, she already has all the eggs, all the cells that will produce all the eggs of her lifetime. So there's three generations in that one body. You know, like, how can we not take on the beliefs that are... are, are can you are repeat that again? Uh, that was very fast when you said that. I was like, oh my God. Okay, say that again. Slowly. When our mothers are in our grandmother's belly, our okay, mother's... So all- that's my mother when she's in utero. Yeah, she already has all of the cells that will produce all of the legs, all of her eggs. The eggs that's going to have like me and all my siblings. Yeah. Okay. So ultimately, there's like three generations in one body at that time. Yeah, because it's her mother, her and us. Okay, gotcha. Wow, that's phenomenal. Right. (laughs) I'm loving this already. (laughs) So we're still entangled in this like in this like web of beliefs and thoughts and 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 things of constraints and then of course like our mothers are brought up by our mothers and they take on the learned behavior and then I I feel like every generation gets a little bit better and I feel like our generation is the generation that's kind of like um super powered we're cutting the cords we're cutting the cords yeah and we're doing it quickly I I feel like we're here to go okay we it's it's time to heal it's like my my mom says to me oh we didn't need counselors in our day I don't I don't don't know what's going on with these generations we didn't need counselors and I'm like yeah that's because like you lifted the rug you swept all the shit underneath it you plastered down (laughs) then you you nailed it down with hammer just because people didn't really talk about it didn't it doesn't mean it didn't exist yeah. <laughs> then you put yeah. boards on top of it and then you put a big sideboard on top of that <laughs> yes and also I think perhaps a generation or two before us people's um you know people had to work like you had to work the fields to eat if you didn't work you're not going to eat like you had to go hunt if you didn't hunt you didn't eat and I think as we got you know to our age and even our children they don't have to hunt to eat they go to the store <laughs> right. and so I think that there was less um you know uh, I guess less worry about survival and we had more time to think about our shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, exactly. Like our parents didn't have a choice. They didn't have No, a- they had to work. Yeah. yeah. 
There was no time to think about I'm depressed. I have to (laughs) go make the food. I have to go get the potatoes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when survival is all that we've got to think about, then we're then we're in that mode and we don't we don't have the luxury of having the time and the choice to dig a little bit deeper. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know like um, I did a trust journey where I did a solo hike for 180 kilometers and it was really interesting to play with my thoughts on that 180 kilometers because I literally had everything that I needed on my back. So I had the food, the water and the shelter. And it was it, it was really um it was really like eye-opening to be in that space and go, everything I need is here. I don't need anything else. So there was no cellular coverage. So there was no phones. There was no computers. There was no house. There was no car. There was no civilization. It took me three days to walk back to civilization. And, and it, it really like hyper-focused on, on what we actually need. And what I actually needed was the shelter that was on my back and the food mm-hmm. that I had and my filter to get water from the lake. And that was it. Mm, we need so very little yeah and and when we reduce it down to what we actually need and then we see what we're actually consumed by it doesn't really make any sense of where we get consumed by sometimes Mm. yeah I often think of that like you have this whole house and you have so much food in the cupboards and it's like you can't even eat the food in a year sometimes what you have in your in your cupboards it's it's like I don't understand where is this all coming from because before obviously like 100 years ago people didn't have that you waited for the harvest you get so much food you have to pack away so much food for the winter months and so on and now that we have all this technology where we can you know do a lot but I think that we have so much that it's it's wasted yeah we have so much yet so little right it's at the same time we're missing out on the things that we're really really actually need like the nutrients and the um the real food I don't, like I, I know like when I was a kid we didn't have supermarkets like we and it sounds ridiculous but we didn't we had local shops and we went yes. to the butchers and the bakers and us, the us too and I still do that a little bit I do that here I actually yeah. seek out like a little butcher a little grocer that I go and uh, do my stuff because I was raised like that too I remember when I first came to North America um I was just shocked with how much stuff there was in one store (laughs) now you got used to it so you know but yeah Yeah. it was a shock because we never had those kinds of stores when I was growing up yeah absolutely and then when you walk around a supermarket really and you really look at the food and go how much of this is actually edible (laughs) this food (laughs) totally I'm with you it's so bad and that's why we have so many more new diseases and because of the stuff we put in our mouth right because your gut is so important people have no idea how important it is to keep the gut healthy yeah it's everything yeah so although we've got the time and space now to work on some of these belief systems um Mm. I, th- I think like some of the practices that our, our parents and grandparents had had, like they had to grow their own food. We had no choice, right? They had yes. to, so their hands were in soil all the time. They were, the food that they were producing was, um, was real food without additives, food. right? So, yeah. and y- yes, it, they had less of it. Like my, my mom was um, a child during the, the war years. So she remembers rationing and remembers not having food. And like mm. a treat to them was like a little bag of sugar with a, a rhubarb stick, right? And like yeah. my grandmother was um, uh, raised in an orphanage. So like she had very access, very little access to food. And as she brought up her own family, it was a struggle for her to eat sometimes. And you think, well, you know, that's only one, two generations past. We still not so long ago. 
it's not that long ago, right? So we've still we're still untangling. Like I'm still un untangling um, uh, beliefs that that I discover, and I've, I've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy on on working through my own belief system and doing my own work. And I I still catch mm -hmm. myself on a daily basis going like, where did that thought come from? Yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> What was that? I'm the same every day. It's like there's it's there's never ending, and I think that's why people, if you're listening out there, don't get down on yourself when you keep having because it's just it seems to be like what's the, what the mind does. It's just you know watch it, have compassion, and just like Marie said so beautifully, oh, she realized that she had the power to change her mind. Mm. And that's what you have too. In every moment, you have the power to change your thinking process. So yeah, don't get don't get down on yourself if you're still having those thoughts because it's normal for all of us. Yeah, and interesting. Like a couple of months back, I was invited to um, do some work with some girls in a sweat lodge um, out in far north Saskatchewan somewhere. Mm. I had no idea where I was going, and mm. um, in the sweat, I was handed the grandmother folds, which was kind of like this, that's the work I do—the intergenerational repatterning, right? And they they actually handed me the grand grandfather's uh, grandmother's folds to. Uh, pray over the grandmothers and in that round of the sweat I actually had this like most profound experience of this like I'd thought this thought before but it never landed so beautifully that you know the work that we're doing is not a burden it's, a, it's an immense it's an honor it's an honor I say that every day whenever I have clients people come to see me it's my complete honor because mm. in front of my eyes I see the transformation and it's just like wow I get to do this yeah, absolutely. So I thought it on many levels, but in in that moment, I actually like I felt the it I landed the, in your body. It because you have to go from from hearing it, knowing it, to being, yeah. becoming it. Yeah. yeah, so it has to land in your body so that you can be that. Mm. It's so different feel, from talking about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah. feeling that sense of privilege and going, you know, like we. Every, sometimes I, I think we can make ourselves insignificant in the work that we're doing but yet it has an immense impact on our ancestors and our future generations and the people around us like yeah. every time we heal an intergenerational pattern or a thought process or a belief for ourselves we are literally creating a ripple effect that, uh, that can affect the entire world exactly and if you take on the work within yourself to clear some of the intergenerational uh, stuff that we've carried, we also help to free our children and their children. Like you said, there's three generations within one person. One body, right? yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the so then the benefits are huge mm. to yeah. do the work. Yeah, and like I received that the, it gets passed down through just seven generations, but I've heard somebody recently say 14 generations. So... You know, it's like imagine how how severe the generations 14 back were and what, what conditions they had. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we as a society become more aware of our ancestors and how we are impacted by that. And also how we then impact our children through that and their children through that. So then, you know, doing the work is one of the most important jobs we have to do um, yeah. as parents. Yeah. And I know like like sharing the stories um, with my children, like like I, I shared with my son one day and he was like, why do you why do you tell me all this stuff? Like when I'd have realizations, I'd share some appropriate things with him. He's like, mm. why do you do that? Like, why do you tell me all this stuff? And I said, well, I tell you so that you understand. So you understand me a little bit better and you understand yourself a little bit better. I said, but, you know, if you want me to stop, I will. And he thought about it and he went, no, I think I'd still like to know. I think I'd still like to hear. 
and like I, I the things that I share with my children I know it gives them understanding and the things that I wish that I had access to with my grandmother like my mom and I can share stories now but like my grandmother passed when I was little on on both sides of, of my family so I, do, I and I I crave those conversations like I want to sit with the elders I want to sit with my grandparents and and not just talk about the good times you know like I think I think we the past generations are like my um, mother's generation has a habit of going oh yeah things were great we did this and we did that and we did the other mm. and like, what about the other things like what about the other things that weren't so great like and not to dwell on them but to share those stories and share those experiences like I hear a lot of parents going like oh I, I keep these stories to myself so that I don't harm my children and I think it does more harm to hide not the- not to tell them because sometimes children are are going through problems or traumas and stresses that if they had known the background that they would understand it better and feel less uh, judgmental towards themselves because at the end of the day like you know you are part of this like you said this three or four five seven generations of people ago and the more information you have about them I think the better for you yeah absolutely and it's it's like when we had when like the olden days like the the um habit was to put the skeletons in the cupboard and close the cupboard and don't talk about it right because That's we're just, ashamed we're yeah, ashamed of yeah. <laughs> our darkness we used right. to be that's what yeah. I was going to say. Like it just develops this um, this pattern of shame, and we we can mm. feel the stories that are hidden. And when we feel a story that's hidden and we can't see it, we go looking for it, and then we can develop a threat brain because we're always looking for the the threats because we don't know where they are. Exactly, and I think again with the shame of the guilt, like when parents feel that shame or guilt they don't want to share it to the children because also when we are very young you know your parents are like the gods and you look at them like they are gods and so parents often uh, they don't want to fall from that pedestal so they keep maintaining so many facades to but at the end of the day you know once you grow up from being a child from this age of seven I guess then it's very important to see your parents also as people not just as mother or father that has to be a certain way for you, but they are also people. And then, you know, whatever they had struggled with, we don't have to judge them. But if you only just see them as parents, we are so judgmental uh, towards our parents for many things. Oh, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. But you know what? They did the one thing right. And because you are here, (laughs) Mm. you know, so often the parents don't want to share those vulnerabilities with us because they feel like they'll be judged or you'll not look at them at the same, in the same way or respect them or love them in the same way. That's yeah. another aspect of it. And there can, there can be another perspective on that where as a child, we, we loop our energy around our parents, expecting them to give us the same source energy that we remember. And then when we fall short or they fall short of our expectations of being like source, then we... Um, we can feel a disappointment or loss or disconnection and blame ourselves for that. Oh, well, if my mother doesn't approve of me, for example, then it means God doesn't approve of me. Mm-hmm. So we, we can loop that in the same uh, bucket because we make our parents our creators. Therefore, creator doesn't love me the way that I need to be loved. Right. And that's why there's so much with intergenerational repanning can be so good for you because often there are many, many children who come into this world and the parent is just not ready to be a parent. Like maybe she was too young. Maybe the father went away. Maybe the mother was a drug addict. Do you know, like whatever, there's lots and lots of reasons. 
And um, often that comes into the child feeling abandoned. And it doesn't matter what they do in their entire life, they never can fill that hole. Because like you said, we are stuck in the illusion that the parent has to give us that thing. But actually, as you get older, you understand that you are the source of that. You are the source of that power. You are that power. And when you understand that, then you can see, okay, my parent, maybe they couldn't do it. Whatever their situation is, we don't know, but at least we can forgive and move forward. Yeah, our parents literally didn't have access to this this higher level um, vibration for want of like a word like a better words it, it, like it, it's only through the the um evolution of time that we we now have access to to this yes. information and access to this healing it just yeah. it wasn't possible and if you think about it like only um a century ago we were in the industrial age and in the industrial age like we had to be shut down to endure and survive that experience we couldn't mm-hmm. have survived the industrial age the way we are now like we are we are far too um, softened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody can make a fire anymore. <laughs> no. no, like nobody like I, I remember, like it, if you had no matches and you were in the in, you know, I wouldn't know how to make a fire. I say it like it's true. I don't yeah. know how to do that, but I, you know, yeah. the people in the past, they they had to do that. They did, yeah. I, I remember going. To, I'm from a coal mining town, and I remember going to like a museum that had like a real life coal mine that you could go down the shaft in and then they had like the ages of you know this is where it was like 50 years ago this is where it was like 100 years ago and um it wasn't that long back that five-year-olds were put down the mine sh- shaft as mm-hmm. trapdoor boys and they would yes. open the trapdoor when the cart came along and then close it afterwards. yes Yes. So five-year-olds sitting in the pitch black, they weren't allowed to use the torch, they weren't allowed to use the fuel, listening to rats scurrying around. Like, if we didn't shut down our emotions and shut down our fears at that point, there's not a chance. You wouldn't have survived. And it's funny because you say that, because I remember when I was young, my mom used to make me do things and chores and stuff. And I have a grandson now who's going to be eight. And I always think about my grandson. I was like, there is no way I would ever let my grandson do that. Yeah. So it's true. It really is true. We have definitely changed and um and hopefully, you know, for the better. And hopefully we 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 can do better yeah. and um, help our our gen, you know, our future generations to be better too. Yeah, I think our future generations are helping us to be better. <laughs> I learn from Whichever. my kids every single day. <laughs> it's not me teaching. And I think but I, but but I think our parents learn from us too. So I think that's just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. Like Everything I, I ever needed to know, of course, I learned from the people that are close to me. And if you learn the lessons there, you're good to go in the world. I think that's why we have families, because if you never had them, you would never know how to be in the world. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Marie, I wanted to talk a little bit about your book. I know that you wrote this incredible book. And can you please tell, tell our listeners a little bit about this? Yeah. The metro- yeah. yeah metro- the metro- yeah, so yeah. I was literally, so this process that I went through, it was like um, understanding the belief at cellular memory and then um, changing the thought in the in the mental body. So like I, I'm a bit of a serial learner. I can't stop myself. I'm always learning something new. Um, so I, I learned about the neuro-linguistic programming. I did my practitioner's course and then went back and did a master's the year later and started really, really paying attention to thoughts and thoughts, thought patterns and how to change them. And then realizing that the um, the cellular information sits in our mental body, 
and then it's, it's stored somewhere in a physical body. So we, we store this belief somewhere in our physical and it can create an ailment in, in that particular part of the body. So this is how I started breaking down some of the beliefs around hypothyroidism and adrenal fatigue, because I studied what beliefs were attached to that area. And then when I started working on those, those beliefs, that my illness or my- Your symptoms. Started lessening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was like mental body, physical body, and then our emotional body, how we feel about the um, the information at cellular level. We quite often forget, like I, I struggled quite hard going through my emotional body because from a coal mining town, you learn, you learn not to show your emotions. It's like, no. you just don't do that. Right. So mm-hmm. for me to actually pay attention to my emotions and now it makes so much sense. Like emotions are a language that are more ancient than the spoken word yet we don't understand what this language is. We, we can't translate it, right? So we, we have to learn this language that's inside us, that's innate inside us. That one was a harder one for me. And then our spiritual body, the understanding of this belief, our internal representation, how we see ourselves, and our external, external representation, how we then present ourselves to the world. And then once it's formed in this pattern, we create a story around it to make it true. And in this story, we call in things and animals and people and behaviors and experiences and objects and animals and nature and things just to come in to make this story true. And then once it's true, we just say, so it is. And then we we repeat it again and again and again and again. So as I see this intentionally, it's like a spider's web. Um, But one day I realized it wasn't a spider's web at all. It was the shape of Metatron's code, which is the sacred geometry, which means creation of all things. So once it's in this pattern, it just creates. The universe doesn't care whether it's helpful or unhelpful, only we have that judgment. Yes, yeah. correct. It's That's what I'm saying, because the universe has been going for billions of years creating. Mm-hmm. It doesn't care about what you think, if you like it or don't like it. So therefore, when you become your journey towards yourself, understanding that you have the power to change any thought, any emotion, any feeling, anything that you've made up, you can change it. So when yeah. you choose to change it, the whole world will start changing because you are actually the thing. Yeah. Kept, I mean, like when I was growing up, I, I did the same thing. I used to think everything else was more important than me. Everybody else was more important. Everybody, it was always out there. When I finally took that journey within, took many years, I understood like, oh my God, I am that thing. Mm-hmm. Everything comes together within me and therefore I get to choose. And when I do the work and exactly actually how you explained it in your book, exactly when I understood that my choice to change my thinking, my choice to, to change my feeling, my choice to uh, undo the conditioning of that first six, seven, eight years of my life. That's my choice. When I did that, when I you know, got my power over that because I have power, my whole life changed. And so literally I know when people are in pain or in suffering or they have trauma going on that they feel so helpless. And exactly like Marie also was saying early on when she was waking up, she couldn't even lift her head up. So I understand when we are in that, but there has to come a point of realization that I want to change. Yeah. Because if you never make that up, nothing will change. You will just keep, because creation is just creating what it thinks you want. Yeah. Because that's what you're putting out there. And one of the changes for me was instead of looking at like uh, in the past previous to my diagnosis, I'd been looking for what was wrong, wrong with me. And I'd been misdiagnosed like by three different professionals with depression. And I was like, I, like, I'm not depressed. And one of the doctors said, well, if you want to take antidepressants, 
go see a psychiatrist and I was like okay and I went to see a psychiatrist twice and she said Marie you've got more positive tools than I have and I was like yeah right I'm not depressed but what is it right so when it when I stopped looking at why why I was feeling so bad and and, and started translating um, the why that can cause rheumative depression uh, into like what can I do like how can I how can I get better like how can I figure out what this is for me because I knew it wasn't depression and I was definitely not willing to take antidepressants um, and if I had then all of my symptoms would have been masked as depression and would have worsened with the with the yes, antidepressants that I took. exactly so having that discovery and willingness to discover what was going on for me internally um, gave me that power to know. Like every, every religious text there is, is know thyself. And we, we mm. have to know ourselves intimately to be able to make any shifts. But because we, like I said, because all of us, myself included, my journey was I always trusted everybody else. Like if anybody else said something, it's like, oh, they must be right. They must be right. It took many years before I was able to stand within my truth and say, actually, no, that might be right for you, but it's not right for me. Yes, absolutely. You know, and so it takes us a long time before we let go of that because we are basically raised like that. You know, you believe everything your parents say and then you believe everything your partners say and they believe everything that, well, not so much anymore, but before what the politicians say. (laughs) After the pandemic, I don't think anybody believes anymore the politicians, but anyway, that's for another day. Um, But, you know, if you understand that you have the power to change your thinking process and therefore you can change your life. And I like what you said when you went to see the psychiatrist, when you decided to focus on the healing instead of the problem, that increased. Yeah, absolutely. So it's also important to know where you're putting your focus because that will grow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And taking like self-responsibility in in that and going, well, this is my journey and, and my responsibility, not anybody else's. And, and, having I don't know where I got the courage from to challenge um the doctor that day but it 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 was an innate knowing in me and I was there was not a chance I was going to believe that I was going to be sick for the rest of my life not a chance it was like no I don't care who you are what type of education you've had I like it was literally like a line in the sand you are not crossing that line you are not going to tell me I'm going to be sick for the rest of my life because it's not true and I do respect the medical industry I still get my thyroid level tested every year and um I still go to a doctor to do that like I'm I'm not saying that um, the medical world doesn't have its time and place. I'm just saying that we have a choice to challenge whether we believe it's true or not. Yeah, because ultimately, I mean, scientists have said this and proven this all the time for us, is that the body heals itself. Yeah. The body heals itself. So your capacity for healing comes from your thinking process. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, and I I say the same as you there. Um, The medical profession is amazing in what it does. Um, But I think before we just put all our trust and energy in something outside of ourselves, maybe first try what you can do. And then if you still need help, well, then it's there, right? But I think in our society, we believe so much that everybody else knows better than us that we never even trust ourselves. We just go from one to the next to the next to the next, like a candle in the wind, you know? And it's like, if you actually just... Yeah, I'm not saying that I didn't do that. Of course, like I, I did go to like body talk and I, I did my own work and I actually still reach out to people outside of me, but not yes. not because I see them the expert, because I know that we we um, collaborate well when we work together. We're not meant to be an island on all on our own, yet we are yes. st- we're still we are still the expert of our own own internal processes. And although we, like we can go to other people for support and 
please do like I still have a mm. coach that I see I've got a supervisor that I connect with once a week and I've, I've got a coach that I work with and I, I still have people that I work with to hold, help hold me accountable right because I'm, I'm accountable to my own journey yeah mm. exactly and that's a good way to do it because uh, when you are not accountable then you can also get lost and also, I mean, there's a whole nother different story. There's the whole topic about um, when people come to you, often you feel like when you're helping other people, like sometimes the ego can step in. And it's like, oh, I've done that. But actually people heal themselves and you just have the honor and the privilege to facilitate. And then however much they are prepared to do the work, that's how the results are going to get. Nothing to do with you. So, you know, that's another one to look out for when we're doing the work that we do. Um, just know that everybody actually really creates their own healing and we're just there to facilitate that. And like I said, that's an honor and a privilege, even just having a conversation with someone. I find actually now when I even just write a note, if I have something going on and I just write a note to someone, I don't even have to send it. I get my own answer without sending the message because when you connect you to yourself, you have all the answers available to you this way or that way. Yeah, we do. And look, my son's got a great analogy on like staying in our own head or, or helping um, process something with somebody else. It's like, you know, it's, it's like being in a fun house with that mirror that reflects your own image again and again and again. You just get the same image reflected to you when you stay in your own head with something again and again and again and again. Whereas when we invite somebody in, it's like inviting in another mirror with a different perspective. Different so facet. Now we get two images, we get two perspectives, and it, it gives us an ability to shift into a different perspective. See, very wise son you have. How old is he now? 19 now. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. Maria, I want to thank you so much today for joining us and um, helping us to understand a little bit about intergenerational um, trauma. And if there's anybody out here wanting to connect with Maria, I'm going to put all the information at the bottom of the podcast and also uh she can send me the link for where people can get the book. The book is amazing. I have a copy too uh, that I got from a resigned. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just so wonderful to hear all the wonderful things that you're doing. And I've known Marie for so many years and we basically have seen each other do all this stuff that we love. Um, so it's just wonderful. Marie, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you again soon. Okay, it was a pleasure. Okay, thank you. Bye now. Bye.